What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week we bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, last concerts and everything in the Juicy Centre. This week we're sharing a live recording of the latest in our series of events from StubHub's flagship event space in New York City, featuring the legendary musical icon Gloria Gaynor. What you can expect is Gloria and I discussing her new Grammy-nominated album, Testimony, and also personally handing out copies of I Will Survive to radio DJs back in the day. Her unfortunate spinal surgery resulting from falling over a monitor while performing and just their will and courage to survive and so much more. Be sure to stick around to get a jump start on next week's plans with the StubHub live show of the week. And in the meantime, let us not be delayed. This is me and Gloria Gaynor. Enjoy! Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of This Must Be The Gig. I am also really delighted to just welcome everybody who's here for the first time. If anyone wants to come a little closer, you are welcome to. So I am thrilled to welcome Grammy winner and current two-time nominee for this year's Grammy Awards. Her, you can clap. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Such amazing achievement, and that's in a few weeks. Her new album, Testimony, debuted top five in the Billboard Top Gospel Albums chart and top three on the iTunes Gospel chart and top 20 on Amazon's overall album chart. I'm honored to introduce a musical icon with hit songs in each of the past four decades, Miss Gloria Gaynor. Thank you. How are you? How is everything today? Everything is great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, pretty amazing what's happening in my life right now. It's great. Let's just talk a little bit about those Grammy nominations. What did you, what happened when you heard, when you heard the news? I screamed. You didn't hear me? No. You should hear me. <laughs> I think I might have. <laughs> yes, I, I, I did scream. It was, it's, it was 
awesome news. Um, you know, whenever you make a recording, you hope, you know, if it's nominated, you you, you hope you're, nom- you're nominated and, and you hope you win a Grammy. But when it actually happens, it's it's pretty amazing. Did you have any inkling or any idea that that would even happen? That did were you how how much when you were recording the album? What were your expectations? Well, my expectations when I was recording the album was just that people would hear it and be uh, blessed by it, be uplifted, encouraged, and inspired by it. I really wasn't thinking of a Grammy when I was doing the recordings. I was just uh, creating and, and hoping to, you know, get through to people and and and, and make their lives a little bit better. Um, and then later on, after you've done it, then you start thinking about the possibilities of where it can go and what it can do and, and all of that. And that's when those things come up. Tell me a little bit about recording. What, how was the process? How, how, did that, how did it all come about? It's, it's normally quite different nowadays um, than it was many years ago. And, and whenever I'm asked what is the biggest difference, in my opinion, is the, the, the lack of the... the spontaneous creativity that can only happen between live musicians working together, inspiring one another. But we did have that on this album. We did it analog and we um, we had musicians in the studio, you know, the singers, myself and the musicians all in studio together. And it was an amazing experience. And again, we were inspiring one another and it was just incredible. Especially, as you said, having that energy in the recording studio mm-hmm. with you. And not a lot of people do that, either no. just because they don't have the time, the resources. So what did that teach you about recording the songs? How did everyone else feel around you? You know, being in that energy, being in that room, how did that, it felt, that feel? It felt wonderful. And it just told me that I've been right all along, that, <laughs> that you, really, you really need to have that in me order too. to get... You can't fake that. You can't no. imitate that. You, you There's no other way to create it. You create that though on stage as well, which is absolutely. I, absolutely. You have so how many musicians do you have on stage at at once? I have six or seven musicians on stage, and three background singers. Wow! Yeah, and you tour with a full band. Yes, I tour with them all. So talk to me a little bit about your very first concert that you ever went to, you ever saw, the first first performance that you ever experienced. The first performance that I ever experienced was Mavis Staples. Whoa! And you can clap <laughs> loudly. Thank you. Uh, and it was great. I, I, I couldn't believe the amount of energy she amassed just standing still and moving nothing but her head. It was, it was incredible. I was like, this lady's a powerhouse. Right. And her voice just, is just so strong that she can just do that without yeah, even having yeah. to phys- be phys- have any sort of physicality. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It just all comes out of her, of her voice. And um, she is the only artist I've ever asked for an autograph. I've never asked the before. Only one. The only person I've ever asked for an autograph. Yeah. What did she order? Uh, and I think I think I I had paper in my handbag, but I think that I asked her for an autograph, not because I wanted the autograph. I asked her because I wanted to talk to her, and I didn't know how else to approach her. Oh right, oh an icebreaker. <laughs> yeah, icebreaker. Yeah. Exactly. When was this? When did this happen in your which which part of your life? In the late sixties. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember where it was? Where it, what, what no, the venue was? No, I don't was? remember where it was. It was somewhere in Newark. Okay. In my hometown. And yeah. after you saw her, was that a was that a kickstart? Kind of eureka. Can I use this word? Like a eureka moment for you to go. This is something that I would like to do. Oh this no, is- I, I I already knew, and I was already singing, but. But performing but like I did that. Want to, mm. I did want to be able to captivate an audience the way that she did. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like a lot of us can learn from performers? Like uh, other than just having that stage presence, especially because I know what we can learn from watching you. Mm. But do you, what, do you, what do you feel like, what can a performer kind of teach you about, the, you know, dedication or motivation? Well, it depends on, on the performer and, yes. and, and what they bring to their craft, what they bring to their own uh, 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 career. You know, if you bring um, uh, 
dedication, then you can teach dedication. If, yes. you, if you bring uh, uh, a sense of... Um, a good work ethic, then you can teach that. I mean, if you an artist who shows up three hours late on stage, what are you going to teach somebody else about being on time? <laughs> right, you know, exactly. And I never did understand that anyway. But um, so you 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 only can teach what you've learned, um, and and responsibility for learning is on the learner. So if someone is teaching you something, then it's up to you to learn it. And and so that therefore, if you are an artist and you're trying to teach something, mm -hmm. then you need to be aware that if they don't learn it, it's not on you. Absolutely. That's such yeah. a, that's fascinating. Yeah. How did, where did you learn it? How did you, how did you learn it? I don't know if that was experience or, or, um, Probably from experience. But going through the motions of making mistakes and going, going through, through the motions that. of making mistakes. But not only that, I think I was born a teacher. And so I learned that because I've, I've, I, just, I, I can barely talk without teaching. It's just a part I mean, of who you're I am. me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a part of who I am. And I think that I had to learn not to feel responsible that someone mm. didn't get what I was teaching them. Right. So not having the onus on you, just making sure that you can make the space for that person. And if they take something from it, then they do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've been, I've been very, um, um, aware of, of when teaching to speak to someone in their language, you know, not to talk at people, but to talk to people and to talk to them as if you know that they don't know. Right. Some people teach, right. teach, try to teach as if they, you already know, mm. you know, so I, I guess that's just a part of who I am. But I think that teaching such a great word. It's, it's kind of the operative word, especially listening to your music, because there's so mm. much in gospel in general mm. in what you do and mm. t with testimony. There's a lot of musings in there that in that album that make you feel like you're wondering about things and you're teaching people how to get along in this world and just be. Yeah. So I really love uh, that. It shows you. in your album. It's a pleasure. Um, was there a song that made you fall in love with music? I, I don't know that, the, if that, that there was a song. Mm. I think what really made me fall in love with music was my mother's voice. My mother was beautiful. a beautiful voice. Yeah. She didn't sing professionally, but she had a beautiful voice. And I think it was... Her singing, her her voice, that made me fall in love with music. Just around the house. Just around the house. Yeah, she didn't sing professionally. Just around the house. Do you remember the first time you performed? I know we asked you oh, earlier absolutely. about I remember the, the very first time. First absolutely. time. <laughs> absolutely. Tell us all about it. I remember it. the first time I performed in school, and I remember the first time I performed outside of school. Well, okay. in, in school, I was in the girls' glee club and the mixed chorus. And we were having a program where both groups were performing and a gr another group called the Madrigals. And, and I was the only one of all these kids that, were, that was doing a solo. So they were all asking me, aren't you afraid? Aren't you nervous? I'm like, nervous what? <laughs> Hanging out with you guys for three, four I years. I can do this. Like, I can do this. No big deal. <laughs> so it came time for me to perform. I walked out onto the stage, stood in the elbow of the piano, looked up and saw a million eyes. That's all I could see. And the, and the teacher played the introduction to the song and I opened my mouth and nothing came out. She played it again. <laughs> I opened God. my mouth and nothing came out. I am so nervous by this time, yeah. I'm like rigid. And she played it again and I huffed and I puffed and finally my voice came out. I sang the song, I got a standing ovation. Obviously. And I came back stage and she said, come here. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she's going to hammer me. And she said to me, let me tell you something. When you walk out onto that stage, everyone is amazed that you had the nerve to walk out there. You have complete control. You can either hold on to it or you can give it up. Mm. I decided to hold on to it, and I never had stage fright again. Wow. I've had it again. But you learned it through going through that. Yes, you didn't just absolutely. have it and then just forget about it. No. And especially having a teacher like that as mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. that is, can impact your whole life, oh, which yeah, it she did. did. She truly did. Wow. She really did. So what is it with stage fright, do you think? It's, um, it's not a real fear. It's a, um, well, yeah, it is a fear. But it's a fear of rejection. And so 
When you have a fear of rejection, the only way to overcome that is to become confident about what you're doing. You can either become confident or you become arrogant. Like, I don't care what you say. <laughs> right. You know? Or I'm confident enough that I, you're going to like this. So I think maybe a little bit of both mm -hmm. is, uh, is what makes you able to overcome stage fright. And confidence on stage, is that also learned through experience? Or is that just having the innate like belief in yourself and just belief in what you're actually singing? I think it's belief in yourself, belief yeah. in what you're, you're actually singing, um, a feeling that I'm offering you something that I think is really quite good. And if you don't like it, then that's not your fault or mine. And I'm OK with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's your story, not my yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I really love your attitude. Is that okay for me to say? Yes. <laughs> okay. Great. Yes. Thank you. I just know that I, it's, it's just something that I think, especially somebody in the music industry, um, I think that that's just so important. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about performing in bands prior to when you got signed. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> well, How was that? I started out, and I'm really, really glad that I started out this way because it gave me a lot of really great experience that I could carry throughout my life. And uh, so I started singing, just going with a list of songs okay. to a place where there was a band that didn't know me, I didn't know them. And I would give them the list of the songs. That's what I did with my very first um, show. I came to the band with a list of 250 songs. And I said, choose whatever songs you know, because I know them all. <laughs> and, then, and we got a, uh, we would get my keys and, and pick out a repertoire and, and we would do it. And I had to learn to sing with all kinds of different arrangements, all different kinds of instrumentation. You know, one group would have a guitar, another group would have a, a, a keyboard, one would have a Hammond organ, one would have a, a upright. You know, so I had to learn to sing with whatever was available to me, whatever their arrangement was, I had to fit into that. Mm. And I think that was really excellent training mm. for me. And, um, and I had to learn to, uh, how to read and, and respond to an audience and how to pull them in. And just, I just had to learn all of that. And nowadays you make a record, you, you're a star the next day mm -hmm. and the next day they throw you onto a stage and they think you're supposed to know what to do, but it's not that easy. Mm. It really isn't. Pause the podcast! It's time to step away from the conversation with Gloria just for a little moment, ever so briefly, just to share a little something Engineer Adam and I like to call the Live Show, show of, of the, the Week. week. <laughs> Why are we still doing a halloween -y? We did that for Halloween, you know What's that? the appropriate live show of the week? Is that better? Live um, show of the week. How does Ken Jennings from Jeopardy talk? Um, what is live show of the week? Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm so excited to be back. <laughs> I am too, especially now that we know Ken is the goat. Ken is the major goat. Did you Spoiler. see Ken? No, you sh the people should have watched it. <laughs> did you see that he, um, talking about music news, Yes. he said that, the, I'm paraphrasing completely because I read the tweet millions of years ago, which mm -hmm. is probably an hour ago or yesterday. But he said that his long con for being part of the show was really just to get Alanis Morissette to offer him a ticket to her Broadway show. Ken is just the best. Yeah. Seattle legend Ken Jennings. Respect. Despite how important that was, more importantly... This week and every week, we're excited to bring you an amazing concert to share with all of you lovely pod people. Each and every week, we highlight one of the most heart-thumping events that we could find out there and share it with you so you can go out there and head to the show. So you can go out there and we can live vicariously through you if we can't make it. <laughs> so uh, we are going to make it to this week's show. Yeah. We're very excited to recognize the magical Francis Quinlan, who will be performing at Chicago's Sleeping Village on January 19th, also the day of birth of my uh, wonderful papa. And it's also as part of the Tomorrow Never Knows Festival, which if you don't know anything about that, then tomorrow you will never know. <laughs> you must be tomorrow if you don't you know, because tomorrow never tomorrow knows. Tomorrow never knows. Francis is perhaps best known as the front person of the incredible 
indie rock band Hopalong, the cult favorite. But her solo record is an absolute revelation. And I can't wait for the rest of you all to get a listen to the project because I've had it for a little while because she's going to be on the show soon. Well, that's a spoil- that came Again, out. Spoiler. spoiler. <laughs> I didn't expect that to happen. But, you know, we're, we're here to give the goods. Sometimes you got to give a shout out. We're here, we're here to give the goods. But if you want to get in on the excitement of that show or any show whatsoever, any event out there in the any, world, any, any. you can head over to StubHub via cosradio.lv slash StubHub. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub to find the best selection of tickets to all of the hottest shows. One more time, that's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. And while we're talking about important things that you can do while you're on the internet to really make your life better, one thing you can do is... Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast right this moment. Subscribe, rate, review, make it five stars. We really would love for you to do that. It would mean a lot to us. So go do it. Go do it. Go get, get, get off your arse and do it. So now that you have all the tickets to all the shows, to all the things, to all the tomorrow never knows, let us return to this week's interview. Back to me and the wonderful Gloria Gaynor. Enjoy you. I can't imagine it being easy though when you started either because you came in at from such a different angle. You know, yeah. you came in it from the passion perspective that this is, was just something that you had to do yeah. versus, you know, an entire machine pushing you you true, know true true but i think i think that kind of made it easier for me because then i was yes. at liberty to do whatever i want to do there wasn't anything i had to do you you said something now that i found quite interesting about reacting to the performance to, to the audience mm-hmm. in your performance mm-hmm. how important is it that you connect with an audience and this sounds like a really simple <laughs> question but i know it's it's no, well, for me, it's, it's very, very important that I, I connect with my audience. Like, I know a lot of artists go out on the stage and they like the really bright lights in their face so they can't see the audience. I want to see my audience. I want to see your eyes. I want to see you smile. I want to see you clapping. I want to see you dancing. I want to see you moving about, mm. waving your hands. And when someone waves at me from the audience, I try to wave exactly like they did so they know that I saw them. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's important to be, and it, it brings about a camaraderie between you and your audience, a connection mm-hmm. that is indispensable. And, and it just makes for like a, a love affair, you know, between you and the audience. Totally. It's wonderful. It's but even as a fan wonderful. to feel that, like mm-hmm. I know who I, well, maybe thought I made eye contact with mm-hmm. at shows, mm-hmm. but you know, I think that that's, uh, again, it's not an artist's responsibility to connect during a performance, mm-hmm. but it definitely speaks volumes about the artist when they mm-hmm. do. Um, it's like a I given, ex- it's a given, exactly. It's give an and exchange, take exchange. Yeah, yeah. So when you did sign and then started performing for larger and larger and larger crowds, mm-hmm. how was that experience for you? Just as just watching yourself, almost like third person hmm. out of body experience, just seeing yourself growing. How was that? It was just that. And it was wonderful for me because it was something that I had dreamed of and it kind of gave credence to the uh, belief that you need to uh, visualize your dreams, visualize your desires. Because I used to stand in the middle of uh, the living room in my bachelorette apartment that was completely empty (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and close my eyes and imagine I was standing in an auditorium with thousands of adoring fans and I was singing and they were applauding and singing along with me. So when all of that came to pass, it was a dream come true. And, um, exhilarating and Mm. it has just carried me through my career and through my life and added such meaning and purpose to my life i'm sure yeah do you have a favorite song that you like to perform in your catalog Uh, because it's you have just well right now uh my favorite song uh, is um on the new album it's amazing grace 
love that. Uh, I love that really. song. That's at the beginning of the album. Yes. It's the first yes. song. Yes. I couldn't carry on the album because I oh. keep going back. <laughs> it's really, why, why is it so important for you? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of autobiographical. Um, it, it, it really uh, speaks of what God has meant to me, what he has done for me, how he has been so ever-present uh, in my life and how I, I, I can feel his presence and know when he's there. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm so comforted and so empowered by that presence. And so the amazing grace um, reminds me of an incident that happened to me many years ago. I was working on a, in a day job. Imagine that. <laughs> a day job. <laughs> a day job. And, um, <laughs> and so I uh, woke up one morning um, just really sick. Mm. Just this croupy voice and, and fever and aching and couldn't go to work. And so I called in sick and I went into my bathroom afterwards and I found some contact. Anybody familiar with contact? Cold, cold remedy? Well, it's a very good cold remedy. It's still out there. So, so, yeah, I'm sure it's just as good as it <laughs> ever was. You heard it here first, everybody. You need contact. <laughs> and I want my money. Um, uh, so I took the contact and I brought some to the bed with me with some water. And throughout the day, I took it. And when I woke up the next morning, I felt great. I was, I was well. I was, this stuff is great. Yeah. So I went to work and um, worked through the morning, went out to lunch, came back. Around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I fell apart. The contact wore off, and I was the same way I was the morning before. And uh, they sent me to the nurse, and they sent me home. And when I got home, I was like, okay, Lord, what was that about? And he said, that's how my grace works. It might not cure mm-hmm. the problem, might not take away the problem, but it makes you able to work through it. Mm. It gives, gives you, you the, the strength mm. and the tools to work through whatever the problem is. And along the way, I am strengthening you. I am teaching you. I am helping you to be pre- preparing you for something down the road. Mm. And uh, so that was a lesson that I'll never forget. And that's what that song is pretty much about. Speaking of illness, you had surgery on your spine. Mm. I fell backwards over monitor here in New York at the Beacon Theater. Oh, my gosh. Went out to breakfast with my group and went home, went to bed, woke up the next morning paralyzed from the waist down. (gasps) What? Yeah. Ended up in hospital for three and a half months, during which time they finally decided that I had to have surgery on my spine. And during that time, the record company called and said they were not going to renew my contract. They were going around the company saying the queen is dead. And uh, I, you know, you get real close to God when you have those kind of problems. Yeah. (laughs) So I started praying and reading the Bible and I went home pretty confident that God was going to do something. I just didn't know what. A month later, the record company called and said they'd gotten a new president over from England. He'd had success with a recording in in England, and Mm -hmm. he wanted to repeat that success here in the United States with me. So they sent me out to California to record the song, and I asked the producers what would be the B-side. They said, well, we don't know. Um, What kind of songs do you like? I said, well, I like songs that are meaningful, that have good lyrics, that touch people's hearts. And they said, well, we think you're the one we've been waiting for to record this song that we wrote two years ago. And that song was I Will Survive. It was a B-side? It was a B-side. Oh, my gosh. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. But yeah. you believed with that determination, well, I, you believed well, I brought in, it back to, yeah. to, to New York and, um, and uh, tried to play it for the people at the record company to tell them this is a song that you should promote as the hit, as the A-side. And they wouldn't listen to it. I wonder what they're saying now. <laughs> so, oh, oh, they knew. They knew all along. Yeah, they, they, they knew. So <laughs> I, took, I took it to uh, with my manager and A&R person from the record company. He was the only one that would listen. Um, and they would listen to him. And so um, we took it to Richie Kazar at Studio 54. And he played it. The audience immediately loved it. And um, I don't mean any harm, but uh, that was a sign to me because New Yorkers don't immediately love anything. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I gave him a whole stack of them. Uh, 
and said, give them to your DJ friends around New York. And he did. They began to play it. People began to request it in the clubs and on radio. And the rest is history. But when you started performing it and you had known that you believed in the song mm -hmm. and you saw the reactions mm -hmm. uh, above, obviously, just I told you so and validation, what was that for you in terms of what lessons did you learn from that experience? I learned believe in yourself. Um, I learned to know who you are and, and, and follow your own heart and your own mind. And, um, and just don't let anybody stop you. If you believe that you know where you're going and, and how to get there, go for it. Especially coming out of something like that when people tell you no and you just mm -hmm. believe in it. Yeah. And look at it, the result. Yeah. Oh, yes. And pushing. Yeah. I know that that song, I Will Survive, means a lot. And so it's so dear to everybody, mm -hmm. me including. Mm -hmm. um, it's got life beyond the song. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean I feel like we know what it means to everybody else, but mm. what does it mean to you? Well, it means uh, the same as it does to everybody else because, I mean, I've had to sing that song a few times throughout my own <laughs> life. Um, I mean, I sang a marathon version of it when I got divorced. <laughs> and, Just on repeat. Um, but, it, but it has added such meaning and purpose to my life that it has become the core of my purpose. Mm. And which is to bring hope, to bring encouragement, to bring empowerment to people, to make it through the difficult times in their lives and, and, and help them to, to, to take courage that I can do whatever it is I'm meant to do. I, you know, what God has called you to do, he equips you to do. And what he equips you to do is what he has called you to do. So if you feel that strongly about something, I firmly believe that wherever your passion lies is where your purpose lies. And therein, you can find anything and everything you need to be happy and at peace within yourself. It's so true. It is so true. And you don't need to take a lifetime to learn that either. No, you can you not. can learn it and put it into practice as well. Yes. And then talking about obviously gospel music, mm. what impact does it have in relation to modern life? Like why is it so you mentioned Queen earlier, known as the Queen of Disco, mm. but gospel is your it's your in your blood now. Yes. Just listening to the record. So what impact does it have for you, why is that genre so important? Well, it's really, um, it's really quite simple. For 40 years now, I've been telling people I, I will survive. I think it's time I told them how. Louder, please, louder. It's true, you really have. Yeah. You have. Yeah. And that entire album does, uh, that's why I love the word teaching, because mm. you do. And it isn't in a way that feels disingenuous. It's in a completely like I've learned the lessons. Let me tell you. Yeah. Exactly that's, how. That's who I am. I, yeah, I've always done that. Even as a kid. I, I didn't have friends when I was a kid because I was a teacher. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, people, everybody thinks they're better. That, you know, they know better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Talking a little bit about... Um, different types of performances. And I know mm. I even started re-watching Ali McBeal the other day. <laughs> Does everybody remember Ali McBeal? Please. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. It was a great show. Um, you were on that show. I know. It was crazy. <laughs> but very early on as well. It was mm. like, I can't remember the exact episode. Yeah. But you appear mm -hmm. in Ali's bedroom. <laughs> bedroom. <laughs> I appear in her bedroom and I, was, I felt really good about that, that episode because they wanted Ooh. me to show up in her bedroom and then in her living room and then in the bathroom and all of this. And I was like, you know, for me to show up in every part of her house dressed as if I'm out in the street, it's not going to be funny. No. Okay. It's really not funny. It gets, it gets old quickly. Outside clothes. I said, so if yeah. I'm going to be in the bathroom with her, I got to be in a shower with her. And if I'm in a shower with her, I got to be showering. So I made them, made them give me a shower cap and a brush, and I'm in there singing. Yeah. <laughs> so it was fun. It was I love really that. And they, they took that. direction? Yeah. I love yeah. that. And you just, yeah. again, teaching. But so what, how was that for you, it acting in that environment? Because it's such a different skill, of course. It is. I know you were singing it and is. you were doing what you do best. Yeah. But 
how was that experience in working with the different actors was, as well? It was great. It was great because they were all very accommodating and very um, uh, helpful, you know, and the producer was... was um, able to listen and willing to listen mm. to to my suggestions and then just you know blow me off and, <laughs> and actually right. took my suggestions you know mm. and so it was great it was really really a great experience pause the podcast pause the podcast are you looking at a calendar full of great events but struggling to find tickets StubHub's gotcha Whatever your favorite band, team, or venue, StubHub is here to save the day with the best tickets for any budget. Whether you're looking for a seat at a Broadway show, tickets to the summer's big arena tour, or a night of cheering on your hometown team, StubHub has the seats you're looking for at the price you want to pay. Head to cosradio.lv StubHub or their user-friendly app to find tickets that are 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. StubHub's never sold out with the most shows, the most tickets, and the most fans. So head on over to cosradio.lv slash StubHub or the StubHub app. The best tickets to the best experiences in music, sports, and theater. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. Do you think you will ever act again? I'd like to. I've always wanted to act. I've, ever since, yes, I had an audition for a part that I did not get, but what I came away with was 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 very encouraging because the producer, I mean the the casting director, mm. had me come into the room and he gave me the script and he said, "Okay, this is your part. Look through it, and I'll read all the other parts." And I did that, and we went through the script. And he turned to me when I finished. He said. Do you sure you never acted before? I said, no, I never tried. He said, I said, why? He says, because it's not like you're acting. It's like you suddenly became that person. And I thought, okay, I'm taking that with me. That's it. I don't care if I never get yes. another reading or anything. That, that's, that's it. I'm, I could do this. But even performance in a way is, it's not acting because it is you, but there is, a, there is a way that you no, are it is performing. Acting. It is acting. For me, yeah. it's acting because my purpose in singing has always been to get across the message that the writer intended. That's mm. been my purpose. Whether I've done that or not, I don't know, but that's been my purpose. And in order to do that, I'm not the writer. On most, in most cases. Mm. So I'm acting. I'm acting whatever this, I believe that this writer intended to get across mm. by, through the lyrics. Mm. So it is, it is acting. And I know that the, in, in your life you've done a lot of, done so much, but what was more unexpected? Was it the doctorate of music that you got or mm. performing at the Library of Congress, which we both are? I never expected to to be inducted into the Library of Congress, and I certainly never expected to do a concert. And it's not a concert hall. Um, but what was even more unexpected was my friends were asking me, you know, when were the tickets going on sale? When were they going on sale? And I said, I started calling people, texting people, saying the tickets are on sale. Tickets are on sale. Eleven o'clock today, eleven o five. It was sold out. Like, At least you did your job. I mean, you tried. Okay. You tried. It's <laughs> like. Okay. Wow. It was, it was amazing. It was an amazing day, an honor to be inducted into the Library of Congress. And also, I know that you studied psychology as yes. well. Yes. And it all makes sense now. Ah. Just chatting to you because, mm. of course, there's a lot of teaching and mm. working with people and knowing how to react and inform them. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. And how did you do that when you were performing? You were touring the world, which With you have. Great difficulty. <laughs> okay. I would find myself in Moscow in the hotel lobby at three o'clock in the morning trying to finish an assignment because there was no internet connection in my room and this assignment had to be in at a certain time. It was not easy. It took me um, six years to do it, and but I did it. And my you purpose in doing that was to, I really wanted to open a, I started a foundation and um, a center, a family center. Mm -hmm. And the main purpose was to help young fathers know how important fatherhood is to their children. 
and that they ought to be in their lives, whether they live with them or not. Um, there is so much that both boys and girls learn from the father that the mother simply does not have to give. It is really, really important, and there are too many children in this country and around the world who are living without a father. I was one of them, and I know the impact that, the negative impact that it had on my life. And, um, and so my purpose was to try to help as many people avoid that as possible. And I still hope to do that, but now I understand that I cannot head up that organization because these young guys look at me and see their baby mama. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't want to hear from me, but they, but I will, I will be in the background. I will back an organization that is run by men that these young fellows can respect and look up to and hear. And uh, I will be the voice of the abandoned daughter and I will support them in that way, and I will support them financially. The biggest problem with the organizations that I know of now that are available is awareness. Mm. So I will help to bring about awareness. Young people don't, don't know that these, these programs are available to them. Why did you want to study psychology then? What was the push? Well, I thought I was going to be the one talking to these oh. people. You <laughs> okay. know, and then I thought, then I thought, I said, I had a, I, I have, I have a therapist. I got a therapist after I got divorced because I didn't want to bring any negativity from my marriage or my failed marriage into mm. any other kind of relationships that I would form after that. Mm. And I said to her one day, I don't want to do what you do. I don't want to sit and listen to people's problems all day. First of all, I talk too much. I wouldn't even hear. You wouldn't even hear what they're saying. I talk too much. Please, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, I think I'm going to ask you some of the crowd questions that we got. Please. They're on my phone, yes, yes. so let me open. Um, so, again, I think I, I told you this a little earlier when we first met that your fans are really wonderful. And we have some in the crowd today. Obviously, wonderful. everybody's a fan. But the ones that asked questions. Um, so the first one I want to ask. Ooh, let me. This one. Okay. This is by Lauren Ryan. Mm -hmm. Living or dead, who would you most like to duet with? It's a very specific to duet with. Oh, Marvin Gaye. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Love him. Wow. Love him. I wish. Yes. That's such a good answer. It's definitely uh, is, is worth mentioning the wonderful people that came together to collaborate on this album. Chris Stevens, my producer, brought such a fa fabulous team together. Uh, uh, Reed Shippen um, as a producer and engineer. And then Shannon um, and Drew, uh, who helped to write, co-wrote with me two of the songs um, on the album. And then the duets that I had with Yolanda Adams, uh, Mike Ferris, awesome singer, uh, Bart Millard, and Jason Crabb. Mm -hmm. uh, all great, great singers. And they have their own albums out and doing wonderful, recording wonderful music. And it was so wonderful to know that they were willing to come and do duets with me on my album to make it the great success that it is. And it was just incredible. So it was a wonderful experience, not only performing with them, mm -hmm. recording with them, but getting to know them. And um, so I've got all these new friends now in the business and uh, more and more reasons to go to Tennessee, <laughs> uh, to Nashville, a great music city. And so to perform there, to record the album at ABC Studio B was fantastic where all of these legends have gone before and, and recorded. And so, yeah, just wanted to mention that um, all you. these wonderful people um, found me worthy. <laughs> Darren Rotel, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, what is one song that you wish you wrote? I wish I wrote I Will Survive. <laughs> 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 I mean, <Absolutely. laughs> yeah. Is there another artist that you loved when you, you, you were telling the story earlier that you went with a bunch of songs, 250 songs to the bands that you wanted to play? Mm. Was there a song that you played for them that you wish you wrote? 
Uh, at the time, I wish I'd written uh, uh, Dr. Feelgood by Aretha Franklin. That was one of my favorite songs to, to perform. And Jessica Peters asks, who would you collaborate with now? Performance-wise? Mm. I, 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 I wanted to perform with uh, Justin Timberlake. Ooh. Just because I think he's a real nut job and I like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know that he's out in the audience right now. Justin. What do you need out of, out of somebody? Like what is the ideal person to collaborate with? The ideal person for me to collaborate with is a person who wants to collaborate. I, I really don't like when you see two people on stage and it's obvious that one or both are trying to outdo the other instead of really coming together and doing a real duet. Mm. Um, so uh, there are, there are no, John Legend is a name I was trying to think of. I would love to, yes. to record with him. He's I'm sure he would a, love to record with you. I think you need to ask, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wonderful voice. Um, but yeah, um, there's, there's, a, there's a couple. So the last one, Eliana Baitler, mm -hmm. that sounds right. Um, how important has clothing as costumes been to create your identity as one of the, she calls you, queens of disco? Well, I haven't really thought of my clothes as creating my identity. I think I've thought of my clothes as um, representing my identity mm -hmm. uh, because I dress for me. I, I really try to wear things that I feel are, are flattering to me. And I've learned that just because they make it in my size doesn't mean I ought to wear it, you know? <clears throat> um, and you need, you need to be aware of your body shape and your body yes. size. That's, that's if you care what other people think about how you look. Now, if you don't care what other people think about how you look, then whatever you want to wear. And I do believe in things being uh, age appropriate. I said to a, a woman in the store one day, her, her daughter was buying something and she was like, you're going to buy that? And I said, honey, you know, you're getting old when you can't wear what the young kids wear <laughs> and you don't mind. <laughs> you're right, though. Yeah. You're right. There's a yeah, fine balance. Like, like, but especially when you're performing, you have to almost again, you, you, you want to showcase the music in the best way. You want to look good. You want to feel most importantly, you want to feel, feel good. good. Yes. Um, and I think that that's, that's a great, that's a great thing. Uh -huh. And that is all that I had to ask you. Okay. I just realized that. Um, I do want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank to you, you so much. You it was really to wonderful to, to talk to you. And what can people expect in the next coming months? Other than obviously watching you win a Grammy. Well, they can expect, and hopefully in the not too distant future, this year, sometime this year, my um, biography my um, um, a um, um, film on my life. And so that should be coming forth uh, pretty soon. So I'm very, very excited about that. It's almost finished. And um, it's going to uh, talk about my life from very young to current times. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I want to know a little bit more about it quickly. Is that okay? Yeah. We still have a bit of time. Okay. So how long did it take to make? Well, it's been four years in the making. And, and we've gone back to my hometown. Uh, the, the, uh, the uh, I don't know what you call her, the writer, I guess, uh, has spoken to my family, my friends, neighbors, doctors, um, and just a lot of people gathering information. I went back with her to film my old neighborhood and my school, my high school that I went to. And um, so, yeah, just showing it all. And hopefully it'll be um, people will find it interesting and learn something from it and, and get some insight into their own lives and how they can go about navigating through the difficult times in their lives as, as I've had to do. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and it will be entertaining in the process. What did you learn from making it? What were the things that stood out for you? <sighs> that, um, 
I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that when you run out ahead of God's planning, you end up out there alone and things just don't work out. You really don't know any better than he does. You really don't. (laughs) So because we get the idea that we know better than God. We don't. Um, And so just patience. You Mm -hmm. just have to learn patience. And um, I have to say that is that is something that I have to relearn almost daily. Just be patient and things will work out in in the right time, mm. you know, because uh, this is the second gospel album I've done. The first one that I did did absolutely zip because it was I ran out ahead of God. Mm. Just doesn't work. And look at this one. Yeah. Yeah. When is so? When is the film coming out? When when do you know? Do you have a release? I don't date? have Can a release date yet. Okay, no, so we'll just keep said, tuned. So, yes, stay tuned. And then obviously, if anyone wants to listen to the new album, testimony, mm-hmm. all of the uh, electronic outlets, amazing, all of them. And uh, just a quick thank you. Obviously, thank you for your time. Thank you again. And thank you for listening. And also I want to say thank you to you and your entire team who've been just wonderful and also StubHub for hosting us at the flagship New York City Times Square event space. And um, also Consequence of Sound, thank you all for being here. Most importantly, thank you again. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Must Be the Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. During the holiday season, everyone's trying to get you to buy more stuff. Instead, head to StubHub so you can celebrate the season at a game or show. Take the whole family to the ballet, bang on the glass at a hockey game, or sing along with your favorite artist at a concert. Hey, we definitely count that as caroling. StubHub has the best selection of seats for all the holiday events you want to experience with your loved ones, and every ticket is 100% guaranteed. Get to StubHub.com or their user-friendly app today. StubHub. S-T-U-B-H-U-B. Be there. Consequence Podcast Network.